If you would turn in your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6. You might have to pull me down just a hair, Daryl. Um, Proverbs chapter 6. We're returning to our series in Proverbs, and we've been looking at various aspects of life and looking for everyday wisdom to apply to those situations. And this morning, I want to tell you that sometimes it's the little things that have the big impact. Little things can have the big impact. If you don't believe me, just stub your toe on a coffee table. Little things can have a big impact, can't they? Sometimes it's a bad sort of impact. The whole Challenger, Space Shuttle Challenger explosion was all caused by a little O-ring. See, the little things can have a big impact. Sometimes it's in a good way. I think of Matthew chapter 17 where Jesus is telling someone, if you will have faith the size of a mustard seed. You ever seen a mustard seed? Teeny, tiny, little thing has a big impact. A small seed becomes a tree big enough for birds to perch in its branches, big enough for men to sit under to find shade, all from that little tiny thing with a big impact. You see, it's not always the big things. Some people want the big things. Like, I want to be part of something big. I want to be part of something that's a movement that sweeps across the nation or across the world. I want to be part of something much bigger than myself. I want to be part of the big. The attraction is to be part of the big, but yet it's the little things that often have the biggest impact. Little things that often teach the message. I think of the Bible verse where God... uh, In fact, Psalm chapter 8, the psalmist says... Oh, me, 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 me. What does Psalm chapter 8 say? Sorry. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Sounds big. And then he says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. We want the big things. We want the huge things. We want the terrific things. We want the things that are larger than life. And God reminds us that sometimes it's the small things that have the lesson. So small things that have the big impact. Things like ants. Ants. Ants? Ants. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 6. Ants are mentioned twice in the Bible. Both in Proverbs. Proverbs 6, this passage that we're going to read this morning is one of the two. The other time is in Proverbs chapter 30. But look with me in Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11, and let's hear what that little tiny ant has to say to us this morning. Stand with me as we read the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, Consider her ways and live without having any chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer. She gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an unmanned man. Pray with me.
Father, open our eyes that we may see. Help us learn from the little ant with a big lesson. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Little things often have the biggest impact, and sometimes it's a lesson. And in this case, we go to the ant to find a lesson. Go to the ant. This is a little ant with a big lesson. What is the lesson about? Well, let's consider her ways. Now, what do you know about ants? Let's, let's think for just a second about ants. Ants live in communities. And when ants live in their communities, uh, it's actually kind of interesting because every community has its own smell. Ants can tell each other apart based on their smell. They know by smell if you come from my colony or another colony. And in fact, rabbis, because rabbis are just this kind of way, they weren't just uh, religious leaders. Rabbis were also knowledgeable generally. They served as doctors in many cases. They would, they would do all sorts of different things, not just know what the Scripture said, though that was the most major part of their job, but they would know all kinds of things. They would be able to look at your, your, your sore and tell whether it's leprosy or not, whether you needed to be kept away from the community or not. They had to play a doctor role. One of the roles that they played was general knowledge sort of expert. And so the rabbis tell us that if you take ants out of one colony, you just scoop up a bunch of dirt from one ant colony and pour it on top of another, the ants will fight each other and kill each other off. Now, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Who wants to volunteer to do that with the, with the fire ant beds? <laughs> no, I'm not scooping up dirt from a fire ant bed. I'm sorry. I got bit the other day just moving the trash can because fire ants were on it. I'm not going to play with that. But it's an interesting thing. Ants know each other because of their colony, because they have a certain smell that's unique to that colony. I know you're one of us just because of that. Ants, ants are quite industrious. They do all sorts. Of, have you ever seen ants around a picnic? Man, those guys get it done. I'm serious. Go to the ant of Sluggard. Consider her ways and live. What do we learn from the ant? Well, one thing, verse 7, without having any chief, officer, or ruler. The first thing, first thing that I notice is that they have initiative. Now, these are three different types of leaders. The chief is, if, if you talk about um, in, in Indian tribes, a chief is typically someone who is well-respected within the community. They don't necessarily get to become chief by vote. They just have the reputation. This is someone who knows what they're talking about. It's often someone who holds his peace, lets everybody debate, and his word is the only word that matters. Oh, you can, the young, the young men will voice their opinions and they'll get passionate and they'll, de they'll describe everything that they want to do. But when the chief speaks, everyone knows it's wisdom and so everyone follows it. That's that kind of leadership that's out of reputation. You don't just lead out of, of, a, uh, out of a title. You lead because you have the reputation of being one that's wise. Ants don't have chiefs. You ever seen an ant in a headdress? No. They also don't have officers. Some of you are military folks. 
Y'all know what an officer is. That's someone who's got the title. Someone who's been promoted. I went to a retirement ceremony uh, just Friday of someone who's retiring from the Air Force, Lieutenant Colonel. Um, there's a certain level of authority that comes with that title. It doesn't matter. When someone of higher rank walks into a room, you salute them in the military because they're of higher rank. It doesn't matter if that guy doesn't really belong in higher rank. He has the higher rank. And you respect him because of the title. Someone was once asked, who was a Secret Service agent, was asked, how can you protect a president? This particular president was one that he disagreed with on many issues. He said, how do you protect a president that you, you don't agree with, that you don't even really like as a person? And he said, I don't protect the person, I protect the office. There is a, there is a title that gives a level of authority. Ants don't have that. You don't see ants walking around with medals pinned on their chest and with all sorts of bars or things on their sleeve to indicate their rank. You don't see ants saluting one another. You don't see that sort of leadership among ants. You also don't see a ruler. Now, there are queens, but they're, they're not in the same aspect that we would think of a queen or a king the queen is just the one that has all the babies that's her role and she plays her role just like everybody else does there's no ruler there's no officer there's no chief and yet this little ant does exactly what he's supposed to do it's not because somebody's cracking down on him. It's not because he's afraid that if he gets out of line, he's going to be destroyed. It's built into him. Go to the ant slugger. Consider his ways. He doesn't need someone telling him what to do. He knows innately what is the right thing to do, and he does it. Ants don't do what they do because they're forced to. Ants don't do what they do because there's a great leader who's passionately declaring away and they want to follow him because his dream and his vision just sound so great. They don't need that. Ants do what ants do all on their own. They have a great big initiative. You ever seen an ant try to pick up food? Ants could pick up some ants five times their body weight or more. Now, if I, let me just put this in perspective. If the average adult man could bench press a thousand pounds, that would be the kind of weight we are talking here. That's what it would be like to lift five times your weight. Anybody, anybody want to take the challenge? Not me. Not me. I have a hard enough time bench pressing the bar. <laughs> Not to mention any weight on it. Those things are heavy. Um, Go to the ant. Look at his ways. Look at the initiative that he shows. He doesn't have to be forced. He doesn't have to be told. He knows what to do and he does it. And what does he do? Verse 8. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. There's a couple things I see here. First, let's go back to that picnic and all those ants gathering around the picnic. Have you ever wondered just how many ants came to feast on that day that Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish? 
I wonder just how many millions of ants feasted and how long the food lasted for them. All the crumbs that were being dropped. We talk about the leftovers that the disciples came up. What about the ants picking up crumbs? Man, they had a field day on that day. But they weren't eating it. Not all that day. They were saving it. Because that's what ants do. They don't just eat. They don't eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and that's it. They store. They save. They prepare for times ahead. You see, the summer and the harvest, those are plentiful times. Those are times when their food is everywhere. And good food too. Watermelon. Apples. Foods like potato salad and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I know, y'all are like, that's not really good food. It is for damn. Think ants out here. They prepare in the summer. They prepare in the harvest. Why? Because there's coming a winter where the food will be a lot more scarce. Watermelons don't grow in February. The good stuff doesn't really grow in the wintertime. There's a few things that grow, but most everything that grows well grows in the summer and in the fall. And they know if they don't save the food now, it's going to be a hard time later on. Some ants hibernate. Not all do. In fact, around Palestine, they can't hibernate because it's just too hot, even in the winter. They need food. They need something to sustain them. So they prepare. You might call these little ants with big vision. They look ahead. They see the need to come and they start getting ready for it. There's times um, when you have plenty and it's easy to want to waste. But look at the ant. Look at the ant. The ant doesn't waste. The ant stores. The ant prepares. Big vision for a little ant. Then he turns to the sluggard. He says, how long will you lie there? I'll look this up. I said some ants hibernate. Some do. Most don't. In fact, some ants, you, you thought you needed more sleep. Some ants sleep, sleep, because it's not quite like our sleep, about eight minutes every 12 hours. Now you talk about not getting enough sleep. I'm upset when I get four hours. <laughs> They're getting eight minutes every 12 hours. That's 16 minutes a day. Have you ever seen an ant sleeping? You ever seen an ant laying down that's not dead? That's not like smushed? You ever see an ant laying down? No. How long are you going to lie there, sluggard? Look at the ant. Look at the ant. The ant is so industrious. He is constantly working, constantly doing, constantly preserving, constantly saving. And yeah, he takes a, a little ant nap every now and then. But 16 minutes a day, I think we can forgive him for that. These guys are workhorses. These ants are all over the place. And have you ever seen them while they're working? They work together. It doesn't matter that that piece of bread is honking huge and it's too big for one ant. 500 of them gather together and carry it off. It doesn't matter that there's too much for one ant to get because they all work together. 
They form that line. And they're walking that line. And they're carrying food off. One by one, bit by bit. All working together. Almost makes you sad that you took the little magnifying glass and burnt the ants when you were a kid, right? Almost. Not quite, but almost. Look at the ants, sluggard. How long are you going to lay there? Pull that verse back up. A little, uh, when will you arise from your sleep? Now, I'm not telling you never get sleep. It's not what I'm telling you. There is a time to rest. God knows if you don't sleep, you will feel it. There's a time to work. There's a time to get up and go. Look at the end. Then he tells the sluggard something that I think we all need to remember. A little sleep. A little slumber. A little folding of the hands of rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber. And want like an armed man. Did you see it? Did you see it back in verse 10? A little sleep. A little slumber. Oh, it's just a few more minutes. You know what I'm bad about? Not wanting to get up when the alarm starts. Boy, do I need to learn a lesson from the ant. It's so much nicer, especially when it gets cool outside and you forget and leave the air on because it's kind of hot at night and then it cools way down and it's really cold in the morning and you don't want to leave your bed because it's nice and warm. When it's still dark outside and you don't want to get up because it's still dark outside. And then when they do, do the time change thing, that just screws everything up because now it's even dark for longer outside. A little sleep. A little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest. Now there's a time for sleep. He's not saying, he, he, he's, he's saying a little more than what you need. A little bit longer than what you what you really should have. When you hit that snooze button seven or eight times. Yeah. But when you just turn the thing off <laughs> so you don't have to hear it. Yeah. All it takes is a little bit. Because it's the little things that have the big impact. It's the little things. It's not... It doesn't have to be the big things. And these, these things that I see the ant doing, this concern for the community that causes them to store up food for everybody, it doesn't matter. They're not putting it in their own bank accounts. They're not storing away food in their own storage places. They have one area for the community. And everybody thrives together. When I look at the ant and I consider its ways, what I realize is that the little thing does have a big impact. That one little ant. So small. Has a great big lesson to teach us. Are we willing to listen? 
As we approach communion this morning, you might have you might be wondering, what in the world does ants and hard work have to do with communion? I mean, after all, doesn't Paul say in Ephesians chapter two that it is by grace we're saved through faith, not by works? He sure does. I'm glad you brought up that verse. Because Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 give us a great truth to tell us that we do not earn our salvation. God is the one who does the work. But that salvation that we do not work for does not absolve us from all work because it now puts us in a place to work. Look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let me tell you something, child of God. When you were wondering what communion might have to do with hard work, when you were wondering what what this great salvation that we are remembering, this death of Christ on the cross, how He has paid the price for our sins and He has done the work that we were not able to do, when you are wondering what that has to do with hard work, that is the beginning place of hard work. Because when we come to faith in Christ, God does not save us to sit down. God saves us to get up from our sleep and get to work. And much like the ant, we have a lot of things we can learn. To take the initiative. We shouldn't have someone over our back, over our shoulder saying, don't you need to do your quiet time? Now it's great to have accountability. It's great to have somebody that that asks you, how's your quiet time going? It's great to have somebody talking to you about the things that you struggle with and helping you through them. Someone that can help sharpen you and mold you. Those are great things. But you shouldn't have to have someone lord over you the fact that you haven't read your Bible today. We shouldn't need that. Because like good ants, we know what we need to do. We should be doing it. Have you prayed? Have you read your Bible? Have you meditated on His Word? Are you you drilling deep down into your heart to hide it? Right in the core of who you are. We shouldn't need an overlord making sure we do that. Or maybe, maybe we're experiencing a time of plenty and we're not being faithful with what we're being given. And we need to take the lesson from the ant to learn Times of plenty aren't always happening. Now's the time to save. Some of you are in a time of plenty. And I'm not just talking about financial, but, but whatever it might happen to be. You may have plenty of love being shown to you. You may have children and grandchildren who adore you and who love you and who are showing it at every possible turn. What are you doing to save that up? What are you doing to invest that in someone else? What are you doing to put that to good use so that it not only benefits you today, but it benefits you in the future and it benefits others who might be in need? Because remember, ants are communal. So what are we doing, church? To take the blessings that God has given us and to use them wisely, not just for today, but for the future. And for not just for us, but for others who need them. Maybe, maybe we're just too busy sitting and not doing. And I don't mean just, look, some of you have bad backs. Some of you have bad knees. Some of you can't carry a lot of weight. I get that. 
For some of you, picking up a kid in nursery is just out of the question. I get that. For some of you, getting up early or staying up late can't be your thing. Walking around, going house to house, it may be too much for you. But every single one of us have a role to play. None of us can be excused from sitting on the pew and not taking part in the ministry. Because a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands of rest, little, 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 results in a big poverty. God has saved us from our sins and He's given us work to do. It's time that we take the lessons of the ant and we put them into practice. It's, it's so funny. Sometimes it's just the little things that make the big impact. It doesn't take much. Don't despise the small things, church. You think I can't do much. I don't, that's okay. This is the hymn we sing. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown. You can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Doesn't take much. Well, I can't, I can't, I can't. That's okay. It's okay to just be able to do little. Because God doesn't despise the little things. Jonathan, talking to his armor bearer, turns and says, let's go attack those Philistines. Now, it's just two guys. I don't know. A couple hundred Philistines. And it's just these two guys, and Jonathan says, let's go attack them. You with me? Something interesting he says. He says, for God may, God may work through us. And he says, and the Lord's hand is not shortened to save by many or by few. I think of Gideon. 300 men. Oh, he could have had thousands of men, but God said, no, no, no. You just need 300. Gave him some weird tests that didn't make any sense logically. What does it matter how a man drinks water? Yet God said, you take the men that drink this way. Of course, Gideon had to have lots of different fleeces. and Finally, you know, God, God put up with him, but he got his 300 men and a rout ensued. You know the only battle in, in the book of Joshua where the Bible specifically says that Israelites lost their lives? Ai. A town so small, it could only fit two letters. And they were routed by the city of Ai. You know why? Because they forsook God in the little things. So the little city had a big impact. Don't despise the little things. 
this morning. Maybe you've despised the little things because they just don't seem like they add up to much. Maybe you've despised the little things because you've just overlooked them. You don't even think about them. They're in the way. They're an inconvenience. Maybe God is using those little things to teach you a lesson. Maybe God's using those little things to have a big impact. If you'll just let Him. Look at the ant. Teeny tiny. Can you imagine having a yard without them? For some, a dream come true, right? They're everywhere. God doesn't despise the little things. Don't you either. Pray with me. Father, as we approach this time of communion, I pray that we would not despise the little things. When I think about your life, I think about your attentiveness to the details. You didn't, you didn't just get the law in broad strokes and miss all the finer points. No, you got down to the nitty-gritty. In some cases, you were even more detailed. The law says you have to have a certificate of divorce. But yet your son says, don't divorce. The law says, don't kill. Yet you say, if you hate your brother, you've already killed him. You look at things like mustard seeds and you don't see something tiny and insignificant. You don't see something that could be glossed over. I mean, you're the God who appoints a worm to eat a gourd tree plant to teach a prophet a lesson about a repentant city that he refuses to forgive in his own heart. You can find a worm. You're the God who says, look at the ant. Look at, look at how wise this little guy is. You're the one that ordains praise from the mouths of babies. When we can't understand them. When we're trying to figure out what it is they're crying for. Their voices are praise to you. God, you don't need the huge. Oh, you can do the huge. You're the one who created the universe. You're the one who made the world. Who made space and time and light and all of these different things that we have even trouble defining and comprehending. And you make them just by saying it so. Let light be. And it has to exist just to obey your command. But you don't despise the small things. Father, may we learn the lessons of the ant. Not just hard work. May we learn how important the little things are. Father, as we take communion this morning, we recognize that we are celebrating a big thing. We are remembering somberly that our salvation was not from our works, but from yours. The death of Christ on the cross brings us to you, reconciles us to you, enables us to know you. It's not something we could do. It's not something that, that our best efforts and, and our greatest accomplishment would come close to fulfilling. God, you have done it for us. But God, we also recognize that in lieu of who you are and what you've done, 
We have to obey you. We have to serve you because there's no other choice for a God who is God, who is in control, who is our Master and Lord. This work that we did not do opens us up for the work that You call us to do. So Father, as we take communion this morning, may we not despise either the big things or the little things. Father, we are so full of sin. No matter how good we are or think ourselves to be, where we recognize that without You we are so horribly wretched and deserve nothing but hell. But you don't leave us that way. So, Father, I pray as we do this, we would remember the sacrifice of your Son who took the pain, who bore the wrath, that we may stand forgiven. Lord, we also recognize that there are Christians all over the world, some of whom are being persecuted, some of you whom are meeting under a tree because they have no building, some of whom are meeting in, a, in an apartment complex because they have nowhere else to meet, some of whom are fearful that any minute a government agent could walk through the door and arrest them, some of whom are worried that their community will be destroyed Lord, let us not hold our hands to rest. Let us not sleep in slumber. But may we be active doing your work, your kingdom work, until the day you call us home. May we recognize in this communion that we are communing not only with each other, but with folks from churches all over the world. For the last two millennia, that have been doing the same thing to remember your sacrifice. Lord, may we also anticipate the finish of your work. You make us holy and pure, and we stand before your throne, completely spotless, completely unblemished, perfect bride for our perfect Savior. Lord, help us take this communion with the reverence and the joy that belong to it. As we remember your sacrifice, commune with each other and anticipate your future. Father God, be with us in this time. In Christ's name.